You may take a seat. Good morning. It is so good to be with you all today. Uh, we can't believe it, uh, or I can't believe it. It's uh, nearly August, um, and so we are, uh, man, sliding into the fall semester. And, and I think if I was to take a poll, some of you are ready. You know, you're looking ahead to football season and everything there. And some of you are like, no, never, no, like keep summer going. We want these vibes. I like the pool, whatever it might be. But wherever you are this morning, I'm glad to be here with you guys. If you have a Bible, go to James chapter three. And I'm fully aware that it says Proverbs on the screen. All right, but we're going to start in James. Um, but I want to tell you a little bit uh, about myself. Again, my name is Thomas, um, if I have not met you yet. And, uh, and, and I want to tell you kind of a story from when I was young. So um, I had this kind of weird tendency uh, when I was little um, to smile at the worst situations. Um, does anyone, I mean, some of you guys relate to that, but like in really serious moments as a kid, um, I, for some reason I would just kind of like, it was almost like an out-of-body experience. Like I just think about what's happening and I think about how serious that person is uh, and they're like trying to rebuke me or something and I would just start to laugh and smile. And I remember being like in third grade and my, my teacher uh, was like, man, it's so quiet in here. We can hear a pin drop. And then what I heard was pen drop. And so I pushed my pens off my desk. My a little pin box. And so it made a huge noise, um, right? And, and in those moments where the teacher would pull you aside and talk to you, I remember just starting to smile. And she's like, you think this is funny? I'm like, I guess so. I don't know. Uh, right? And, and that was just like a tendency I've always had, just to smile at the wrong time. I remember in, specifically uh, in junior high, I had a science teacher and we were just cutting up in class and I wasn't doing anything like horrible uh, besides derailing the hard work of this teacher, you know? No. Um, but but uh, I remember he pulled us out aside, aside the class and I just felt this coming up. I was smiling and, and like literally like self-aware, like I, I was like, I don't know why I'm smiling. I'm so sorry. Like, you know, you know, and the, the teacher's like, I'm just confused by you. Um, but I tell you all that because, right, sometimes our words can get us into trouble, right? Sometimes what we say or what we do not say or what we, uh, what we do, like, can, can get us into trouble. Um, and it communicates something. And, and today, what I want to talk about is this concept of words, um, which perhaps is the broadest topic that we could possibly pick in the book of Proverbs, let alone Scripture, right? Just talk about words. We communicate all the time. And I don't think I have to spend much time to tell you that words are powerful and that words can be the most encouraging and life-giving things that we can say to each other or can be some of the most damaging things that we can say. I want to read to you James chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, go to James chapter 3, look at verse 6. Right, this is our holy scriptures talking about the tongue or the way we use our words. Listen to how uh, our, the way this is described. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
right? And if you, uh, yeah, maybe you're thinking James is, man, he's just dramatic, right? Like, man, that's, that's going intense. Like, I think he could write a good song with some of these lyrics, you know, right? Just the intensity. Um, but the Bible over and over and over again will tell us the tongue, the way we speak matters. It can set our life on fire. How many of us have watched the news, right? Any given day, there is a daily story of someone who has said something or has gone back on their word and they are burning their life to the ground because of what they have said. And many of us on a smaller scale have experienced hurt because of things said to us, right? Whether it's parents or siblings or roommates that have cut us to the core and we carry it with us to this day. Words are powerful. I want to read to you a couple of Proverbs. I'll have them up here on the screen. Proverbs 21, 23. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. Right? The Proverbs say we should guard our mouths because in them there can be great troubles. Or Proverbs 20, 19. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. With more words often comes more trouble, more pain, more frustration. This is why Winston Churchill once said, we are masters of unsaid words, but slaves of those we let slip out. And so I want to talk about the power of words today. So we actually will be talking about words over the next two weeks. So today I really want to focus on the power, the nature of words, and just talk about how the scriptures tell us to think theologically about our words and their impact that they can have. And then next week I want to focus on the practice. How do we become people who use our words in such a way that build others up, that honors the Lord, that honors Jesus. So let's talk about that. So my first point for you guys today is this. Your words have the power to last a lifetime. Your words have the power to last a lifetime. When I was young, so I'm 33 right now. And so I remember there was a point where I lived like in the analog world, right? And so like I, used, like I remember like tape decks and like CD players and then like digital stuff came out and the internet started coming out. Like I kind of remember that transition um, it's strange because like kids in junior high today were like born post 2010. Um, and so like that just blows my mind. Um, but, but I remember that, that transition and I remember people being like really like hesitant about like getting on the internet and, and they're like, you know, like don't give out any information, like don't put it, like don't buy anything online, right? Like be careful. Like once it's on the internet, it's out there. Right? So like, be careful what you put. So like, you know, people would have like their own like usernames and like, you know, AIM messenger or whatever. And then like, you would have like voice, if you were talking to someone, you could have like a voice covering your mouth or whatever. Um, you know, like, a, like a, it, would, it would alter your voice so they couldn't hear your real voice. Um, but there was all this like hype about, man, be careful what you say. And, and, and I remember being like, like lectured in school, like, hey, if you post it online, it will stay on there forever. Like, even if you delete it, it can be made into copies. Sometimes it's still there. So if you don't want everyone seeing it, don't post it, which is very much true. But I would say that today because I think the reality is as well, the words we speak often carry that same permanence, 
right? Obviously there's truth to what we post online and, but I'm not here to talk about that. The word, but sometimes that can get us into the mindset of like, man, if I just say it out loud or if I kind of just talk about it in my home, like that's like better. But so often the words we say stay with people forever and what we say cannot be taken back. For example, I took my son to the farmer's market in downtown Bryan yesterday and I had told him previously, and I don't know what point, you can have something sweet to drink and like a pastry or whatever. And I remember we get in there and I was like, you can only get one thing. He's like, dad, you said, you said, I have the timestamp. Like yesterday you said, and I was like, I don't fully remember that, but I'm like, I said it. And to him, it stuck with him, right? He's like, I'm owed this, right? And in the same way we speak and our words stay with people. They stay with people forever. Look what the book of Proverbs says in Proverbs 18. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Literally, the power of death and life are in our words. And I love this, like, it's kind of a snarky proverb, uh, which is always helpful, you know, right? You're like, thank you, Solomon, for this. Um, but, but it's this idea of if you are going to make a living on speaking and, and you're just going to say what you want, be prepared to eat your words, right? He's like, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And if you love it and you love speaking, you want to make sure you're heard, be prepared to eat your words. Nothing more true has been said. I want to make a, a point here about the power of words. There's actually a, a case to be made. I want to look at, before we just look at our own words, I want to take a look and actually look at how God talks about his own words. And so there's a power in God's word. And I think by looking at this, we can actually learn a little bit of the nature of the long lasting imprint that our words have. So I want you to think about this. Um, and you don't have to turn there, um, but go to, uh, or I'm going to put Hebrews chapter 11, verse three up on the screen. In our Christian theology, we believe that the world came into being through God's spoken word. Like he spoke and creation took place. Right, if you look at other like mythologies or even other religions, right, especially in the Roman world, um, during the time when the book of Hebrews was written, so much of the world, people thought it came out of this like chaos of gods fighting each other. And out of that, that's how the world was born. But in Christian thought and theology, the way that the apostles described the teachings of Jesus was now, the, the world did not come into fruition, did not come into being through chaos, but through order through a God who was in control and he merely spoke and his words produced life and thriving and purpose in the world. Now I think that's incredible, like just to think about that, but even more so in Hebrews chapter one, talking about Jesus, he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. And listen to this, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. So right now in this moment, in the Christian perspective, the cells in our bodies, the thoughts in our head, right? The, everything that we see is held together by the word of God. We are sustained by the word that God has spoken and the things that he has said and spoken into existence. Now as image bearers, we should pay attention to that. Because God understands the power of his own word. And as we reflect him, our words carry power with them. I want you to think about the reality that what we, so much of what we know about God has been revealed to us through the written word. That is how he has chosen 
to engage with us and to reveal what he is like. Words are important. But even further more than that, our words are powerful. Now, do you ever like read or study something in Christianity and think that's kind of weird? Like th- that's totally okay. Like that's actually probably healthy. Um, like I remember I, I, this summer, I got to take a trip to the UK with some of our high schoolers. Um, and we had 11 students and some of our staff, and we were largely in places where there were, there were non-believers. And so we were in a school in the UK, and, and you had an auditorium full of non-believers. Most of them just would identify as either atheist or maybe agnostic. Like, yeah, maybe there's something out there. But definitely not the bulk of them were followers of Jesus. And for our students to get up, they were sharing their testimonies and stories in front of these students. And I remember sitting in the back listening and talking to one of the other students on the trip. And like, when we share our testimonies before other people, like, it sounds strange to, to those who are not believers, right? Like, it's like, man, I, I was lost, and I, and I found this, like, community of people, and they told me who I am, and, and, and there's this person I've met, and, I, and I, haven't, I haven't seen him, but I've given my life to him. And you're like, man, to the outsider looking in, I understand why this is strange. And I remember a student, like, kind of pointing that out to me. But one of the strangest things that sets Christianity apart from the rest of the world is that God can be known right? That we can speak to God. Now, I don't know if that, like, that gets lost on us sometimes because we're like, yeah, like, God's my friend. Like, yeah, right. I'm a friend of God and he calls me friend. This is great. Like, but, but think about this. We can talk with God. Over and over and over again, Jesus says, go before the Father, ask for anything in my name, and he will listen. He will grant it to you, right? And if you think that's like an obscure verse, um, I've actually been studying that this semester. There's eight different times where Jesus says something to that effect. So a couple examples, ask and it will be given to you, Luke 15. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Or John 16, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Now, I just want you to think about the reality of what the scriptures teach. When we speak to God in some way that I don't know if I can fully explain, we partner with him and can reshape the spiritual landscape of reality in a given spot. We can ask God for things and he responds to us. We can go before him and ask that he does something and he listens and things happen in response to our prayers. Think about the power that is in our words. That God himself says, I want you to talk to me, pray to me, have conversation with me. The basis for Christianity is that God can be known and that we can be known by him, that we can speak to him. And it's not just performance, but he actually listens to us. That's crazy. If you just take time to meditate on that. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. So to wrap up this first point, and I promise they're not all this long, but bear with me. The two spots that I think our words have the greatest impact, where we, our words just last longer in these spaces than in other spaces. Although we can say horrible things or great things almost in any space. But in particular, it's with our family and it's in the places where we have been given authority. So I want to talk about family real quick. Right, the book of Proverbs talks about this over and over again. But our families, the way we speak to our family members matters. Our mom and dad, our kids if we have them, our siblings, our words and the things we say to one another and our families in particular have an ability to make an imprint. 
over and over and over again. The Proverbs will emphasize this. I love Proverbs 20. He who curses his father or mother, his lamp will go out in a time of darkness. Or Proverbs 1.8, hear my son your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. There's over and over and over. Uh, Proverbs 21, it is better to live in the corner of a house than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Train up a child in the way you should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. All of these Proverbs tap into this idea of the things we say in our household make impacts on the people we live with. And we'll talk about more of this in a little bit, but I just want to highlight this. How do you speak to your family members? Because we are around them the most often, you know, often case, and our words have the ability to imprint on them in a way. Parents, you have an incredible ability to imprint your words onto your children, children onto your parents, onto your siblings. Pay attention to that. I love the story, or maybe not love, I just love the example because it's a warning to us of Jacob and Esau in the Old Testament. When you read the book of Genesis, it makes it abundantly clear that there were even preferences in that household where you had Isaac and Rebekah and you had Esau and Jacob, their sons. And Esau is like a hunter and, you know, kind of character, you know, his character is like a, he's a hunter, a man's man. And his dad, it says his dad loved Esau because he loved that he brought back meat and food from the hunt. And it says Jacob, to, I want to make sure I get the quote right, because it's kind of an interesting uh, way to describe someone. He was a man who was peaceful, who liked to live in tents, right? And, and so Isaac preferred Esau, but Jacob, who maybe didn't fulfill the expectations of what Isaac wanted in a son, and who was the second born, he more related to his mom, Rebecca. And that dynamic, the expectations and, and the preferences, and, and I'm filling in some gaps here. We don't know all this, but I am sure there were compliments and things given in certain situations, a certain, like to Jacob or to Esau by those parents that created strife. And you see the fruit of it because that family begins to fracture. You see that, that family begin to disintegrate. Esau eventually tries to kill Jacob. Jacob's trying to steal the birthright. He's lying to his dad. And there's this point in which Jacob has to flee the family. And Rebecca spends the rest of her days, like the last few decades of her life, never seeing the son whom she loves again. The words they spoke and their lack of control destroyed their family. And I think many of us have participated in that. How do you speak to your family? I think the second spot is also in places where we have been given authority. So maybe you are a boss and you have people who report to you, or maybe you're just older than the people around you, and so people look up to you. Or maybe you are a senior, and so there are freshmen coming in, and they naturally look up to you. When we've been given authority, our words have the ability to penetrate more deeply, oftentimes because people are paying attention to what we say. Romans 13 says this, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God and those which are established by God. Our ability to speak and articulate is a reflection of who God is, and we have been placed in authority by God. It's not an accident. We should leverage that. We should be careful with that. Now, I want to end this point by just saying this. 
it's not always big moments that create impact. Sometimes it's small moments. Like sometimes it is big moments. Like uh, my son Adler's super into Finding Nemo right now. Um, and there's a spot in that movie at the very beginning, like a big dramatic moment between father and son, right? The Marlin's like overbearing on Nemo. And he's like, hey, you can't do this. You have a bad fin and all these things. Don't go there, you know? And eventually Nemo turns around and he whispers it in the movie. And he says, dad, I hate you. Right? And every parent's like, oh, man, you, you better watch out. Like, right? But like, that's a big moment, something that was said, and that can imprint forever. Right? And some of us have said things like that, where we say something that maybe we don't even actually believe, but we say it and we know it's hurtful. And other times, it's just in passing, and we don't even know what we have said. Right? We just say a comment, in and it could be good or bad. Like, your choice to compliment someone's shirt or your choice to compliment uh, what someone did. Hey, that was really cool. And it sticks with them. And like four years later, like I remember uh, uh, one time I, I was running a meeting and Brian Wolf came and I haven't told him I'm telling a story, but he came and he's like kind of a big dog, knows how to run a company and all this stuff. And he, he like just at the end of the meeting was like, that was a really well-run meeting. And I was like, that means the world from you. Like, because you actually know what you're talking about. And, and I, I don't think he would remember that. But it's like, that stuck with me. And that was like five years ago, right? It's like the words we say stay with people, both big and small. So if our words last a lifetime, what are the different ways we can use them? Your words have the power of versatility. So, um, right, we're, we're starting the new semester, right, we're coming in, um, but if you rewind to kind of May and the graduation season or that moment in time for you when you were graduating, right, when you're like a senior or you're in a time of transition, you get asked the same question over and over and over and over again. So like, what are you going to do next, right? And for many of us, it's like, I'm so sick and tired. If someone asks me that again, like, I'm going to lose it. And others of you, it's like, you're, you're doing pretty good. And you're like, ask me again. I, I can't wait to tell you. Like, I got cool. And, and all this stuff. And, and what's amazing is the same phrase. Like, we can say words to people, and it, it, can, it can land in a way that is meaningful and encouraging, or it can land in a way that's extremely hurtful. And it can be the exact same phrase. So if you spoke to someone a graduating senior, right, who's a mechanical engineering major, and they got like a job with Boeing, and you tell them, man, I always knew that you were going to do that. Like, I always saw you as doing that with your life. Like, that's awesome, right? And then you also go to someone who hasn't found a job yet, living at home, you know, and, and uh, you know, it's just kind of like, yeah, I, I'm trying to figure out what's happening. Like, I bought like a switch, and I, so I got that going for me. And um, but I, I'm, and you say, man, I always saw you doing that. That's like, that's you, man. That's all, like same thing, but lands in a way that crushes and, in one sense, builds up. Our words can be used in so many different ways. So what I want to do um, just over the next few moments is just kind of highlight a couple of the main ways that we can use our words. And there's kind of three broad categories. But I want to highlight Proverbs 15. Look at all the different ways that words are described here. This is Proverbs 15, 1 through 4. It says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And the tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Do you see all the different ways that words can be used? 
You see them, them turning away wrath, stirring up anger, spouting folly, soothing, being a tree of life. Our words are versatile. And so I want to highlight a couple broad categories here. The first one is we can use our words to uplift. We can use our words literally to uplift. And I'm putting in parentheses here to sanctify. Right? The word sanctify is this idea of becoming more like Christ, to become like Jesus. <coughs> our words can literally be used to help people become like Christ. Do you know that? You have the ability to, to breathe life into people. You have the ability to speak truth into people. Look at what Proverbs chapter 10 says. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Our words have the capacity to be a fountain of life to the people around us. So I've highlighted a couple ways that the Proverbs describes the way we should use our words. And I'll fly through these as fast as I can. The first one is this, in terms of encouragement. I love what Proverbs 15 says, A man has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. We can use our words to encourage other people. There's actually a calling on this. All over Scripture, encourage. What this means is to speak, to give courage to someone else, to speak into them in such a way that you build them up, that you call out what you see in them, their capacity. And you say, man, this is what I see in you. I see this potential, and this is where I see you grow it. This is amazing. That's unique about you when you encourage someone like that. You build them up. You are a tree of life. I love what uh, Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. You have the ability to step in and even confront anxiety in people by speaking to them. That's amazing. Training. Look at Proverbs 22 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And maybe the most famous proverb, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Right? We have the ability to actually train each other, equip each other for the work of ministry, to teach each other skills for becoming who we are called to be, to step in and to say, hey, you don't know how to do this. Let me speak and show you and train you for righteousness. Healing. Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Now I want you to put yourself like in the context of Proverbs. There's not like candy factories and processed sugar everywhere. So when you taste something sweet, it is remarkable and rare and, and unlike anything else you have heard or tasted. And so when the comparison is made, that pleasant words are like honey and healing. It is like, man, I am saying something to you to help set what is broken in you. I'm set, helping correct something that has gotten off in you. And I've been in youth ministry for about 10 years now. And, and the secret, right, 99, not 95% of our job is just combating lies that junior high and high schoolers believe, right? That's like, that's, that's the main part of our job. Right? It's just, man, they have been told lies, whether that's from outside the home or inside the home about who they are, what should matter to them, what's important to them. And our job is to step in. And I love the analogy or the metaphor of healing of bones, where you have a broken bone. Healing is setting it back to be the way that it's supposed to be. 
And so many people walk in lies, walk in a false reality about themselves, about who they are, about their worth. And we have the ability to step in and bring healing like honey to someone who does not have sugar, right? Who only eats plain food most of the time. Like we can bring life to them. Wisdom as well. Proverbs chapter 10, the mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom and the lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable. I love this. We can give wisdom and counsel to people. And the last one, rebuke. Proverbs 28, he who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. Right? A lot of times we don't think of rebuke as like something like good for people, right? It's like, oh man, I have to confront them. They're going to hate me for it. But man, the Proverbs would say, man, when the person who loves someone is willing to step in when they're doing something that'll hurt them and they will help correct them. There's a way to do it. And you often have to earn the right to be heard, but our words can be used to rebuke and correct an example of encouragement, I'm going to go back to this UK trip we took this summer. Uh, one, one of the things we did on the very last day was we sat all the students who were on this trip and we actually picked out a word for each of them, a gifting that we saw. So anything from evangelism to uh, encouragement to faith, just words that we say, man, this is what we have seen. And we just went around and spent like an hour or so just going one by one and saying, hey, this is something we see in you. This is something that you bring to the table that's, that actually God has given you and gifted you. And not everyone can do that. And here's a challenge for you to take a next step forward in that area. And it was amazing to watch the room just like whenever, whenever everyone's turn came up, like their countenance just changed. To have someone in authority over them speak truth into them. And so many of the students have even embraced like that, that gifting and that idea that we spoke to them. We have the ability to build up, to uplift, to sanctify. But we also have the ability to tear down. And unfortunately, the reality of words is we can destroy people with them. That's far too common. So the first way is through lying. Proverbs 26 highlights this. A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. And sometimes lying comes out intentionally, deceptively. I am trying to control an outcome, and so I'm going to lie. I'm going I'm I'm to fudge the numbers. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say what is reality so that this thing does not happen to me. And other times, it's just so subtle. We stretch the truth lightly or whatever, or what seems lightly, and it creates damage in people. We can also use our words to seduce. Proverbs 6, it says, For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. And what he is talking about here, he's kind of personifying foolishness um, as this seductive woman. And he's telling his son, Psalm is telling his son, Hey, hey, Stick to the light. Stick to wisdom. Beware of the seduction of someone who is going to tell you what you want to hear to pull you away from reality. We can do this and participate in this all the time. Seduction is not always just in a sexual sense or anything like that, but it is to call people away from wisdom 
It's to call people to what will harm them. How many times do we try to use people to get what we need and we want and we fail to think about their needs? And we use our words to try to push them in the direction that we think would benefit us. That's a form of seduction. There's also perversion. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. And the lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked brings out what is perverted. We can say perverse things. And once again, not just in sexual ways, although that is part of this, but perversion is to take something in its purpose and to remove that purpose from it and to deform it and to use it in a way that it was never intended. That's what it means to pervert something, to take something that is good even and given to us by God and to apply it in a way. And so, so many of us, maybe that comes from discipline and we pervert discipline with those whom we love and have had authority over us. And we use it to create fear or submission in our, in our homes or in, among our friend groups even. Man, if they cross me, I'm gonna use that to suppress them. That's a perverted use of discipline. Discipline is always meant to be used to train up for righteousness, to coach them towards sanctification. There's so many ways that we can pervert. Division, Proverbs 25 says, the north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue and an angry countenance. Not much needs to be said here. We can use our words to divide, to sow, to gossip, to stir up strife, this, this often comes up when you have issues with people and you say, instead of talking to them directly, I'm going to talk to everyone around them or to the people who will agree with me and get them on my side. How many times do we do that? We create division at work or in our homes. And the last one is wounding. Proverbs 16, a worthless man digs up evil while his words are like a scorching fire. We can use our words to wound, to cut. Oftentimes this just comes into being mean. I mean, anything from as simple as name calling to saying, man, this, you, it's not just that you did something that was bad, but you are bad. Or man, you just are such a burden to this family. We can say things that weigh people, that wound them, that scar them for the rest of their life. The third way which I was trying to think about maybe putting it in the others, but it just seems so different, is this, right? We can sanctify, we can scar, but I think we can also be silent. And silence can be good, right? We can just not speak words. And sometimes that's the best. There's a lot of Proverbs about, hey, if you just like don't say anything, like you're going to be doing great for yourself, um, right? Especially in grief or hardships, silence is a powerful tool to build up other people. But silence can also be negative because maybe we are not critical of our spouse or we're not critical of our roommates, but we lack any encouragement. We say nothing. We don't speak in. We don't step in. We are indifferent and we do not speak up. I love Romans chapter 10. It says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in whom who they have not heard? Right? Paul's talking about the gospel going forth, and he's like, for people to believe in the gospel, someone has to proclaim the gospel. And I, I just love that because it's kind of a, unveiling a principle for the people in your life to know that you value them, that you believe in them, that you want their best. You have to use words. How often have you spoken 
to your kids in that way, spoken to your roommates. Maybe you think, man, I'm just really thankful I've had the same room at all four years in college. Have you ever verbalized that? So often we keep that internally and we remain silent and say nothing. And that cannot intentionally create damage. So I want to move to our last point here. And it's this. Our words have power because they reflect our character. Now, um, right, if you, I just had to take my car to the shop. The AC was broken for the last month, and it was horrible driving around town without AC, um, right? But there's like all these gauges and things that indicate this is what is wrong. Um, and our words serve as a gauge for our character. The way we use words and the way we treat people with our words is one of the biggest gauges we have to say, where is my character in terms of how I view God, right? Going back to the book of James, James, one of the, one of the marquee rebukes that James has is, hey, how can you talk to people like this created in the image of God while also saying you love God? Because that doesn't mix. How can salt water and fresh water mix together? The way we use our words is a reflection of our character. Look at uh, Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. But where we have hope is that our words can be changed. We can actually bring our words under our control. We can actually improve our character in such a way to influence the way we speak to each other. Now, I read James chapter 3 at the beginning, so some of you are like, the, tame can't, the, the tongue can't be tamed. Like, what are you talking about? Right? So, but I think James's purpose in writing that is not to say, yeah, so don't care about what you say. James's purpose is the exact opposite. Watch what you say. Don't take lightly speaking. The specific situation in James chapter 3 is people grasping for power, wanting to be heard broadly and widely. And he is saying, hey, don't you know how powerful the tongue is? Be careful to just desire it because, man, no one can tame the tongue. So his point is, is to be put up guardrails for yourself. Think deeply about how you use your words, not to not care, right? We wouldn't say like, man, it's impossible to control my lust, so I should just like go crazy, right? Like, no, it's a character issue. We should aim to control our tongue. I think the other objection I, I can often hear too in becoming a person who encourages, who trains, who builds up, and I hear this often, that's just not my personality. Like, that's just not how God built me. Like, I'm an Enneagram whatever, or Myers-Briggs this, and so, like, I'm just not an encourager. Like, I'm not the type of person that, like, steps in and, like, rebukes my brother. Uh, because, right? It's like, I don't see the qualification, like, the, 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 the footnote in 1 Thessalonians that says, unless you're an Enneagram 9 or whatever. You know, like, there's no qualifiers. The way we use our words is not a personality issue. It is a character issue. And oftentimes we will lean and say, that's just not who I am. And while God makes us differently and things come and we approach things differently, we are all called to encourage and to use our words to build up. I think I often see this in men in particular, right? We say, man, I'm just not someone who uses those types of words, right? Like my role in this family is to like provide and like be funny and like kind of sarcastic, but not too far, you know, like, and that's my role, no, but we're also called to be an encourager, to speak life. 
to encourage our, our spouse, our wives, our children, our friends. We are all called to that. Build one another up, right? It's repeated over and over and over again in Scripture. Look what Jesus says to this effect in uh, Matthew chapter 12. He says, For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees in this section of Matthew, right? The Pharisees were like, we love God. We're good with him. We're just not good with you. And he was like, okay, let me show you why that is not working because the Old Testament testifies about me. And they're like, well, we have Abraham as our father. And there's like this whole debate. And he was, and he kind of like, he kind of checkmates them. He's like, your father is actually the devil. Because if you really believed in the Old Testament and believed in Moses and everything that God did, it would lead you right to me. And so your words and the way you use them and your rejection of me and the things you're saying about me is revealing your character and where you stand before God. Jesus even takes it a step further. Look at this in Matthew 12, perhaps one of the most sobering verses in all of scripture. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words, you'll be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Jesus says it's a character issue and you will be held accountable for it someday. Now, next week, we're going to talk about practice. How do I become a person who uses my words to uplift, to sanctify versus those who scar? But where I want to end today is not just leaving it with this judgment, right? Because judgment is coming. All of us will stand before God and give an accounting for the words that we spoke to the people around us. And that should create some concern in you. And that's a little of the point, but that's not where the story ends. Because in Jesus's life and his ministry, he will come repeatedly say, yeah, there's this high standard that you are called to, there is this person that you should be, that you fall short of, and that is why I am here. And so if you find yourself saying that I have used my words to tear down or to be passive, to be silent, I have sidestepped, I have downplayed the power of words in my home and in the places of authority that I have been given, that should lead you to the foot of the cross to say, God, I need your help. And whether you are a believer who says, I need to repent, and I need, I, Jesus, forgive me for I've lost sight of this. Or you're a non-believer. We all come to the cross. And we say, Jesus, you came, you died. You lived a perfect life. You spoke words with kindness and firmness. You somehow rebuked with grace and truth together. You fulfilled everything that I could not. And then you died for the sins of the world, or was buried and tasted death, and then was raised again. And now, sits, now he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for those who are sons and daughters of God. If we believe in that, if we believe in the message of God, revealed through Jesus, the Bible says we are forgiven of all of our sins. And what's amazing is the person who has spoken everything into existence, who has spoken and holds everything together by the power of his word, declares us in that moment to be righteous before him. And his, world, his word holds true then.
So to end, I have an application for you guys. Really the application this week is to do a self-diagnosis, to reflect. Next week, we're going to talk about practice. This week, I just want you to reflect, take inventory. How do you use your words? Now, what kind of person would you describe yourself? Or could you say, I mean, I'm an encourager. Man, I'm someone who is training my children for righteousness. Man, I'm a person who gives wisdom to others. Or have you said, man, I've kinda, I'm outsourcing that stuff. That's not really who I am. We're actually all called to do that. Or maybe you've been someone who's critical, harsh. You've lied. You've used your words to create destruction. You've said things that are not true to people. And, and before we make, uh, do anything else, just take inventory of that. And reflect on that this week. So I'm going to close and pray uh, for us today. So if you would, bow your heads with me. Father, we come before you right now in this moment, humbled because of your grace and compassion, and humbled because of the high standard you put on us for words. And so, Father, we just pray and ask for your help. God, we cannot be who we are supposed to be apart from you. And using our words to be a person who uplifts and breathes life and battles anxiety and all the things we talked about today, it starts with a relationship with you. It starts with us speaking to you. And so I pray if that's what we need to do today, that would be the case. And for those who are walking with you in this room, I pray that you would bring to mind maybe areas where we have gotten off course with our words. And if there are apologies that need to be issued, bring that to mind. If there are attitudes that have been adopted, may you bring that to mind. But in all circumstances, God, your scriptures has promised us your grace that those who draw near to you will not be rejected, but you will draw near to them. And we thank you, as Jesus said, if we ask for anything in your name, it will be given to us. And so we praise the name of Jesus this morning. Help us to become people who use our words like our King Jesus. Amen.